Before we get stuck into the preach this morning, just a heads up on what's happening in this space from next week onwards. Uh, next week, we're starting a brand new series called The Reason for Everything. The reason for everything, and the reason why we're telling you now is because we want you to file this as of highest importance. I know I say that about all the stuff that we preach. That's because God's word is important, and the way he equips us is, is important. But this is a series that... Um, it's going to be in a series on apologetics, which if you don't know what that means, it's not about us being all apologetic about our faith. It's about giving us the tools to equip us to defend our faith. Because I know you sitting here this morning have had difficult questions come up in your own heart, maybe cause some doubt in your own minds. Maybe you've read something or heard something or seen something in a movie or you read the Da Vinci Code or you read the God Delusion or someone came to you at work with Varsity or in your family and said, oh, are you Christians? What about this and that and that? Therefore, you can't trust the Bible and you haven't known how to respond. This series is on one hand, it's going to equip you in your faith, your foundations, and also equip you to know how to respond or at least follow a process of responding to the people who have these questions, even if the questioner is you. The other thing that this series is going to give us an opportunity for is to possibly invite some of the people that you've been dialoguing with, because I know you have, um, people in your family, come along. If they're not Christians, tell them, listen, we're going to be singing some songs. We don't expect you to participate or whatever. But, man, oh, man, we're going to be dealing with some of the questions we've been talking about. So come along. Um, if they chicken out of that one, then invite them to listen to the podcast for the next nine weeks. But that's the goal of this series. And just to give you uh, uh, an insight into some of the questions we're going to be asking and answering, uh, the one is, what happened at the beginning? Talk about the Big Bang. We talk about creation. Was it caused by God? Was it caused by nothing? Um, what about God and science? Can God and science be friends? Can we reconcile good science and good theology? Can we trust the Bible? It's the oldest question in the book. Did God really say? All right, and people are throwing assaults at the Bible. But can we trust this book that we hold so dearly to our hearts? And then also such a big debate at the moment is gender, sex, sexual identity. How do we as Christians respond, not by just Bible bashing, but how do we engage rationally around topics? Because these are the topics that people have questions about. These are some of the reasons that people reject Jesus. And if people reject Jesus because they haven't had good answers to these questions, we need to step into that space. All right, so be prepared. Next week onwards, we're going for nine weeks. The reason for everything. If we're in a life group, we would be advertising a little shareable WhatsApp, little picture that you can invite people. Um, so we are so excited about that. But to get into this morning, we've got a standalone message. If you have your Bibles here, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We will have it on the screen behind me as well. Um, but the cool thing about having your own Bible or your own digital device is you can't take the screen home, but you can take your Bible home. So uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We've just finished a series called Get Real. And it was a series designed to help us recognize some of the masks we wear, some of the ways we pretend to be something or someone we're not. We're projecting an image, perhaps uh, someone that we think others want us to be, or even someone that we think God wants us to be. Oftentimes, the reason why we do this is because we're protecting something within us. We're protecting our sin. We're protecting our shame. We're protecting our past. We're protecting our insecurities. And so we wear these masks. And without re-preaching the series, we fall short and everyone else falls short because no one gets to know you 
and we don't live authentically with God and with self and with others. And we miss out on a real authentic relationship with all those people. So some of you found the series incredibly difficult and maybe even painful as we recognized some of these masks and took them off. And some of you are angry with us because uh, five weeks ago you're like, hey, Stephen, I thought I was cool. Uh, I thought I was in control of things and I never knew I had a religious bone in my body. And now you've gone and preached this Get Real series and now I've realized I'm a total mess. Now what? And I'm so glad you're asking that question because today is now what? Um, so I've got two axioms that I refer to regularly up here and also in my own life. The first axiom is this grace. If, it's not going to be, but you might want to write this down. Grace accepts us scandalously. Which means because of the work on the cross, Jesus taking uh, our sins and the punishment for our sins, giving us his life, grace accepts us scandalously. So you've just discovered you're a big fat mess. Well, cool. There's no pile of mess in this room that is bigger than the cross. I don't care what you've done, what you've discovered about yourself. The cross and grace is bigger than that. So grace accepts us scandalously. But part, the the second axiom has to go with the first one. And it goes like this. But grace transforms us radically. You see, God loves us so much. He doesn't want to leave us where we're at. So we've just discovered we're a total mess. But God wants to transform you. And he wants to put grace in your life. He wants to empower you for a new life. You see, we are all working from who we were to who we're becoming. And just to press pause on that thought, there's kind of a objective theological truth, which is somewhat related, but a bit confusing to how we actually experience it. The theological truth is this. When we discover we're such a mess, we turn to Jesus Christ, we trust him for our sins and our salvation and his life. We are changed that second. God sees us with the righteousness and life of his son on us. And that happens in a split second. However, Our lived reality is we're moving from this person we were and we're moving towards the person that God is making us to be. Um, Some of you know of the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, The way he got changed was he was a religious Jew and he was so zealous for his faith that he was willing to imprison and even kill Christians. He was so anti-Christ and anti-Christians. Uh, he was on his way to go and imprison some Christians on a road to Damascus, which is still there in Syria. And uh, Jesus encountered Paul on that road. And his life turned around 180 degrees in a moment. He went from zealously persecuting Christians to zealously planting churches and defending the faith. And some of your conversions were like that. Some of you, you recognize your life was a mess. You turned to Jesus and the next day you were tasting life. And your life has been different from that point onwards. But then we've got the Apostle Peter. So Peter, uh, many of us, especially if you've grown up in church, I think we identify with Peter. Peter has a foot-shaped mouth because his foot was always in it. Peter was the kind of guy who is like a puppy, man, like so zealous, but always doing the wrong thing, always messing up, right-hearted, wrong-headed. I mean, here's an example. Peter has this moment where he says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, I'm so excited that you said that. 
Because there's no way you came up with that on your own. Only my Father in heaven could have revealed that to you. Hey, Peter, you are in tune with my Father. You are hearing his voice. You are tasting the kingdom. Just a few seconds later, Jesus says, listen, I, know I need to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And Peter says, over my dead body. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. All right, he says, no longer are you hearing the voice of God and the voice of the kingdom, but now you're being ruled by the voice of the world and even our enemy. And that's us, right? We go from hot to cold, from mountaintop to valley. Another, We go from walking on water to sinking in the water. We go from, man, Jesus, I will go and die for you. And then Peter denies his faith to a tiny little girl. I think most of our journey is moving from who we were to who we're becoming for most of us. Probably more like Peter than like Paul. The big question about this journey though is, Lord, at what stage of this journey can you start using me? I'm a total mess and maybe I've rediscovered I'm a total mess. And you're moving me somewhere. You're wanting to make me more like your son and you're wanting to give me grace for that life transformation. But at what stage can you start using me? On a scale of one to ten, at what level of perfection can you start using me? And I'm so glad, again, that you're ahead of me and you're asking these kinds of questions because that's what this morning's about. Uh, so as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this church was a total mess. Uh, this church was not a nice Christian background church, nice Christian country church, nice Jewish background church. These guys were in the middle of the Greek Roman Empire and a whole lot of these Christians were coming out of their old lives informed by paganism and they were really struggling the, in, in the process of transformation. Uh, this church was so messed up that, uh, and I've said this to you before, that if we were alive 2,000 years ago and you said, hey Steve, moving to Corinth, do you know a good church? I wouldn't let you go to this church. They were getting drunk at the Lord's table and there was sexual promiscuity and they were all haywire with spiritual gifts. Uh, they were messed up coming to terms with this transformation. But I want us to see and take note of how God speaks into their messed upness. Specifically asking and answering this question, can God use me? So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential and not many were of noble birth. Now, I, I don't know about you, but that comes across like a bit of an insult. All right, some of you were powerful and all the rest, but not many of you were actually much to speak of. Now, let's stop talking current. Let's start talking Riverside. Some of you sitting here, according to the world standards, might be something to speak of. Maybe you are influential. Maybe you were the kind of person who was picked first for sports teams. You were a head boy, head girl. You were prefect. You were influential. You, you say things people follow. Maybe some of you, man, financially, you've got all your retirement annuities lined up and you're set for life. Your kids are in the best schools. They're going to the best universities. As far as the world goes, you might be a mess below the surface, but as far as the world standards goes, uh, people look up to you. But maybe some of you are sitting here this morning saying, Stephen, I don't none of those. All right, I was picked last for sports teams and I was always like in detention and I barely made it through school. Uh, I, I talk about family. I mean, my family's a mess. My marriage is a mess. Talk about finances. I mean, I don't have a job. Uh, talk about just being a total disaster. I've just discovered what a disaster I am through this Get Real series. I, I don't know if God can use me. Now, Paul knows something. 
And he knows that what we tend to do in this area and in other areas is we tend to bring the world's standards into the church. And if, if, we, if you need to know anything about the kingdom of God is that Jesus is always flipping the world's standards on his head. Listen to this verse as an example. Luke 7 verses 28. Jesus is speaking about the, uh, John the Baptist and he says this, I tell you, among those born of women, meaning just every human that's ever lived, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, statistically speaking, there's someone on the face of this earth at this point in time who is the least in the kingdom of God. In fact, there's someone in this church who is the least in the kingdom of God as far as Riverside goes. And maybe you're wondering, God, I wonder if it's me. And maybe to some of you saying, yes, it's you. Uh, Which doesn't matter. It's not an insult. Why? He's saying, man, if you're the least in Riverside, if you're the least in the kingdom of God, you are greater than the greatest prophet that's ever lived. So how does that work? Well, you see, you and I get to enjoy the full benefits of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which John never experienced. Plus, while John was empowered by the Holy Spirit in certain ways, you and I get God's Spirit fused to our soul. And this is why even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist, which is why God can use anyone. God can use anyone. These next few verses are going to kind of illustrate how God does this. It's kind of counterintuitive. Verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Now, as counterintuitive as it sounds, we actually love it when this happens in real life. So if you're under the age of 30 or 35, I'm about to introduce you to cinematic greatness. Uh, Do some of you remember the movie Mighty Ducks? It's not the kind of movie you study in matric, but it's awesome. Movie about a guy who uh, had this kind of checkered but very skilled uh, hockey ice hockey past, and um, he does something wrong, and he needs to do some community service. So he gets assigned to coach a community ice hockey team. And these guys are a total disaster. These guys can't tell they're left from their right, they're front from their back, and they can't barely keep upright on the ice. Uh, and this guy's got to uh, uh, coach them. And as you can imagine, the way the movie goes is that they win the league. Uh, and another movie that's just going to, it's got to rock your world. There's Cool Runnings about the Jamaican bobsled team. Now, to do bobsled, what do you need? Lots of ice and snow. What does Jamaica have nothing of? Ice and snow. And yet the team enters the Winter Olympics and while they don't win, win in the same way that the Mighty Ducks team won, man, they come home with such national pride that they even make it to the next Winter Olympics. We call this rooting for the underdog. We love it when this happens. In fact, I, I was just watching the, the match at Wimbledon last week Sunday and you could just see the team was behind our boy. Because they were rooting for the underdog. We love it when this happens. And this is how God works. It's the inversion of his kingdom, principles, and values. A couple of weeks ago, Craig spoke about Gideon. And you may remember, Gideon says, God, you can't use me. I mean, I'm the least in my family. My family is the least in my clan, and my clan is the least in our tribe. Uh, how are you using me? He starts off with thousands of people. God wants them right down to 300 people, and they beat the Midianites with barely raising a finger. 
God loves doing that because God can use anyone. Craig mentioned David. David again, Jesse, uh, sorry, um, Samuel the prophet comes to the family of Jesse and says, show me your boys because one of them is going to become king. So he chooses his, uh, all of his, the, the bigger sons and he says, it must be one of these guys. And David wasn't even chosen to come and stand before Samuel. He was left out in the field. And yet he was the one that God chose to become king. And he was the one that God chose to overthrow the Philistines. Because God can use anyone. God loves doing this in his kingdom. A lesser known story about David is that between the time of David being anointed as king and actually becoming king, Saul was still king. And David was so popular that he had to run for his life. And he was out in hiding and a whole bunch of men started coming and saying, David, I want to follow you. But listen to the description of these people. 1 Samuel 22 verse 2, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. (laughs) This is not the army you pick for yourself. I mean, all these guys were fat, lazy, in counseling, full of anxiety and poor. And yet they became David's mighty men. Because God can use anyone. And God loves flipping the world's agenda on his head. Now, there's a very specific reason why God does this. He doesn't just do it to make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Listen to what it says here in verse 29. He does this so that no one may boast before him. So that no one may boast. And we're going to talk more about this very practically later on. But before we do this, I want us to really let Paul conclude his argument. We've actually jumped about midway through his argument. He's been arguing for a very specific point from verse 18 onwards. And basically the big idea is this. God's wisdom is so much greater than ours and it's so different to ours that the world and many of us look at God's wisdom and it appears foolish to us. I mean, we're going to be addressing it in the series to come. But for example, take the Bible's sexual ethics. The fact that it is a gift from God in a very specific place. It's not to be experienced outside of marriage, but it is an incredible gift within marriage. To the world and to even many of you, that seems like utter foolishness. Now, I don't know if it's only me, but I sometimes think, man, God, if you just kind of came down and explained things to me, just kind of took me from here a little bit further, then I'd be on board with you. Just help me understand, and then I'm with you. And I want to kind of point out the kind of arrogance in this. Now, this next series that's coming up doesn't mean, man, that being a Christian means you leave your brain at the door. God wants us to love and worship Him with our minds as well. But I think sometimes we think like this, well, God is infinitely powerful. I mean, He speaks and stars come into being and whole universes and, and God is infinitely holy and man, my, and me and my sinfulness just can't come close to God and His holiness, but God is slightly more intelligent than me. And if He would just kind of sit me down for a few minutes, explain things, then I'd be on board with Him. Then I would obey Him. And what we need to come to understand is that God is infinitely wiser than us. To the point where sometimes his wisdom seems foolish to us. But if you want God to explain things to you so that you can obey and you can be on board, you're not putting your faith in God. You're putting your faith in your understanding of God. Real trust is God. I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to trust your ways. I'm going to trust your wisdom. 
even if it appears foolish to me. Maybe if you and I were running the world, we wouldn't do it like this. We'd pick the A team, right? We'd look for all the most influential people. We'd look for all the business owners. We'd look for all the good-looking people. We'd look for all the people that the world looks up to and we would use them as our catalyst for change. And luckily for, for the world, you and I are not in charge. God is in charge and he has chosen to use the foolish things of this world to show up the so-called wisdom of this world so that he can get the glory. Now, when it comes to Paul kind of wrapping up his arguments, listen to how he concludes in verse 13, 31. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Whenever we see those words in Christ or in Christ Jesus, it's a synonymous concept of being a Christian. You are in him and he is in you. Just as the air is in our lungs and we are in the air, so Christ is in you and you're in him. If you're a Christian, you are in Christ. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. And that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's saying, this is how God works. Okay, so some of you in this room, or some of you in this Corinthian church, or any church around the world for that matter, some of you are not wise by world standards. Some of you are not influential or strong leaders, and you were picked last by the world's standards. So the goal here is not to kind of get you, just become a little bit more wise, become a little bit more influential, and we'll see what God does with your life. He's saying it's got nothing to do with that. Jesus is your wisdom. He is your righteousness. He is your holiness. So trust Him. Trust His ways. Be led by Him. Trust your standing before God because of Jesus, not because of your righteousness. Trust what God can do through you. You're just a broken vessel that uh, Daryl referred to earlier. Don't try and fix yourself. Trust Jesus. And coincidentally, what actually starts to happen when we do things that way is we do become more wise. We do become influential. I'm not promising you're going to own a 14500 company. But what I am saying in the kingdom of God When we trust Jesus, we become influential in the kingdom. When we follow him and his promptings and his word, we become influential, we become wiser. The thing is, in our hearts, we know it's not about us. Now, this is very humbling for so many of us here this morning. The reason why it's humbling is because we want to be the star of the show. Most of you sitting here this morning are married. You remember the day that, uh, gents, you were standing at the front of the aisle with that nervous excitement. And that time came uh, after 35 minutes waiting for your wife. He was late. Um, the bell rang and the doors opened and the music went on and, and the church stood and she came down the aisle. Now imagine your best man at that point started kind of poking everybody and making faces and just getting attention onto him. And imagine if the speeches later, I mean, the speeches are all about the bride and the bridegroom and just thanking everybody for their contribution. But imagine the speech that he made was about him, how awesome he was and how the wedding's awesome because of him. (laughs) And we do that. We want to be the star of the show in the kingdom of God. I I was, uh, for a couple of times, I was an extra in Isidunga, you know, the 
kind of soapy, South African soapy. And <laughs> imagine I went around to <laughs> imagine I went around telling her, "Hey guys, you need to watch Isidinga on Thursday night because it's an episode about me." And everyone's watching, saying, hey, "Steve, I never saw you." And like, if you really looked super carefully for about two seconds, you could see my left ear. We want to be the star of the show. We want the attention on us. And as I mentioned to you before, J.D. Greer just tells us that what every single one of us need is a Copernican revolution. Where we go from believing everything's about us to believing that everything revolves around Jesus. And we exist for him and his pleasure and his glory. So we, this humbles us because we believe we want the attention. We also want the credits. We want the credits in the kingdom of God. We want to feel like... The reason why worship was so awesome, the reason why the sermon was so awesome, the reason why this church is so awesome, the reason why my small group is so cool, the reason why my husband or kids came to faith, the reason why this happened in the kingdom is because of me. We want people to know it. We want to feel like we want the naughty badge from God. Let me tell you, pastors are not immune from this. There's something in us. There's something in me that wants to know this church is awesome because, oh man, because I'm awesome. Think about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, if you don't know, just ways that God places something in our lives where when we operate, we're actually operating in His power, not our own. Think about spiritual gifts. Think about, you've just you know, spoken at youth and men, all those kids were just down on their knees repenting. Spoken in church, just lives being changed. Shared your faith with someone and they just came to faith in Christ. Led a worship set and everyone's just like, man, God's presence was there. Someone comes up to you and says, so how did that happen? I mean, uh, that was incredible. Which sounds more humble? Answer A, well, I'm I'm spiritually gifted. Or answer B, you know, I've worked so hard on my craft. There's something in us and in the world that says answer B sounds more humble. Whereas answer A and again, you might use different language, but it's just simply, it wasn't me. God just gifted me and I, I didn't deserve that. We call that grace. That it is by God's grace that anything happens. And we stand in the way when we want the credits. And finally, thirdly, we are humbled by this because sometimes God uses people we've looked down upon. We've imported the world standards into this place, into this community. And we've gone, oh, this person, you know, they're a mess. And, uh, you know, I, I understand why they were picked last and all this kind of stuff. And then we're totally surprised when God uses them and not us. That humbles us. That doesn't mean that God doesn't use successful people and influential people and good-looking people he does. Can you see the heart behind this all? So for some of us, this is humbling. For some of us, in fact, for all of us, this is stretching. Because we've all got these little excuses and we are in various degrees of being conscious of these excuses. But they go something like this. God can't use me because. And what this passage says is, no, God can use anyone. And what you might say, well, God can't use me because I'm not smart enough. God can't use me because I'm not influential enough. And you can complete that old sentence the way it makes sense in your life. But that excuse doesn't count anymore. Because while that may still be true of you, sorry to tell you, it is not true of Jesus. 
And we're not trusting ourselves, we're trusting him. So this morning is an invitation for every one of us to step up to be used by God. Because, say it with me, God can use anyone. So I want to wrap up this morning. Regardless of where you're at, this is an invitation to be used by God. In spite of our mess. In spite of we're still transitioning from A to B. In spite of some of the things God's doing in our lives. God's calling us to avail ourselves to Him. His power, His wisdom, His righteousness, His holiness. And I want to read a prayer for you. It is authored by John Wesley. It's called the Covenant Prayer. And I want to read it for you first before you pray it. I don't want you praying what you haven't fully acknowledged yet. Listen to this. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me employed, be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, and so be it. And the covenants now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. See, the world's standards only recognizes half of this prayer. Let me be awesome for you. Let me employ it for you. Let me be rich for you. Let me be powerful for you. But God loves inverting that on its head. So regardless of where you're at, I'm going to give you a few seconds just to read this in your own mind. I see many of you got your phones out. Do that. We'll post it online as well. Take this prayer. Let it become your morning prayer for the next month. as you move into the space of being used by God, because God can use anyone. And in a few seconds time, I'm going to invite you to stand if you're desiring that this becomes your prayer, because God can use you. Take a few moments, read it, and then we'll pray together for those who want to. God can use anyone. God can use you. And if you want to be used by him, please stand with me and pray this with me. We're going to read it out loud together. Let's go. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are mine, and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Reach out your hands as we pray. Father God, I ask that you strengthen our resolve and our willingness in this. We are humbling ourselves by praying these words. And we are recognizing that it is you in us that does anything of value in the kingdom. But we do, broken vessels, mess and all, want to be used by you. Jesus, we thank you that grace accepts us scandalously. Jesus, you paid for us and you've given us your life. We also thank you, Jesus, that grace transforms us radically, every single one of us. And you desire to use us and we desire to be used by you. And Jesus, I pray that the future of our families and our marriages and the south of Joburg and wherever we go will be different because of this prayer. Pray this morning what you do with our loaves and fish. Empower us, Holy Spirit. Change our hearts and our minds. Use us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You guys have... A wonderful week. Just to let you know, sorry, also what's happening in small groups during the course of the series is we're going to be doing evangelism training. So if you're not part of a small group, Sundays is going to be about apologetics. Wednesday nights, Tuesday, Thursday, whenever you have it, it's going to be evangelism training, how to share your faith. Now's a good time to join a small group. All the details are online or come to speak one of us, even if it's just for the duration of this course. All right, God bless you guys and see you next week.